Welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast. I'm your coffee-infused host, Ashley Verma, and I'm here to share all my ups, downs, and all-arounds of being a mom to my gorgeous Adia, owning a fitness business called Define London, and truly managing being a unsingle single mom as we cheer on my husband and his amazing business in Uganda. Oh, yes. Oh, oh. Is this a mic check? You heard that right. Uganda, and he is not doing the daily commute. So each week, I will be joined by a fellow inspiring, thriving, and surviving busy mumsy. We all need to take a deep breath together. We try, we navigate, and not be too hard on ourselves. I get it. I am human, and failures simply happen. I am not shiny, and I am never filtered unapologetically. I am, at its best and worst, busy mumsy. Happy days, my beautiful friends. Ashley Verma here, and it's my favorite time of the week. It's time for a busy chat. Now, today's guest is shedding light on a topic that can be uncomfortable and, well, to be quite frank, it's not the most kindest of conversations. I'm talking about divorce. Sarah Armstrong is a Georgetown graduate who went on to work for the Coca-Cola company for 20 years in global marketing and led the company's approach to agency management. Her work has been recognized as industry leading around the world, resulting in Sarah being named as one of Ad Age's Women to Watch and 10 Who Made Their Mark in 2009. Sarah recently joined a leading global management consulting firm as a partner to advise clients around the world on agency management. Another accolade Sarah has added to her resume is author. She is the proud author of The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, where she offers insight and a creative approach to navigating the pre and post-divorce process in an effort to help put your divorce in the category of a good divorce. I'm telling you what, I'm I'm intrigued. I want to know more. So let's dive into this week's Busy Mumsy Chat. Before we get started with this week's show, I want to welcome and give some love to a fab Busy Mumsy sponsor, the new free sustainability app, Nudge. We are all transitioning with the kids to that back-to-school vibe, so we are all taking on a different routine, so why not make the family routine about sustainability? Using an easy, quick and assisted app that can have the entire family involved and accountable. The new free app that empowers you and your family to live a more inspired, more sustainable in the long term, one small nudge at a time. Oh, I get it. I know what you're thinking. Ashley, are you out of your mind? I'm too busy. Well, my friends, you won't be busy if this world combusts. Our work needs to start now. Alrighty, I want you to pick up your phone, go to the app store, search for Nudge. That's N-U-D-J if you need a little extra nudge with spelling. But um boom. You are going to download it. Take it in. Oh wow, challenges, find a friend, how to track. There is so much to learn, and trust me when I say knowledge is power. Now, before we get all caught up in the fabulousness of the new sustainable app Nudge, let's dive into this week's Busy Mumsy Chat. Sarah Armstrong, welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast. Great to be with you, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And on the other side of the great good old America, you're over in San Francisco. Is that right? I am. I just moved here in January. So just 
moved from, I was in Atlanta for almost 24 years and moved to San Francisco just in January. Big life change. Big, Big life change. Well, you know what? For, for the Busy Momsy listener and for you, Sarah, just to know, this is like the first kind of chat that we've had, period, on the Busy Mumsy podcast, kind of like this topic. And it's so still like... This not the scarlet letter A, or it's the scarlet letter D. And we're going to be diving in with Sarah about divorce. And it's just so, we're not talking about nappies. We're not talking about breastfeeding today. We're talking about something that has quite a stigma on it as well, right? It really does. It really and, does. And you know, you know what's, what's really uh, wild is that for the listener, Sarah is the VP of Global Operations for Google. And she has magically from Google manifested a book. She has written a book, I swear, Google. Good old Google really does project out the, the, the magical unicorns that bring just so much light and love into the world and can take something so dark and make it like confetti and whatever. But you have written a book, The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, what to think through when children are involved. I mean, how smart is that title from the get-go? Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's uh, it's an interesting journey, uh, to be honest. And, you know, I, I want to start with a, a bit of a caveat, Ashley, because I'm actually not an advocate for divorce. I think that couples should get married and stay married for forever. I mean, that's what you do, right, when you get married is you have that intent. Um, but, and that's in an ideal world, but sometimes, um, things don't, uh, play out as planned. And so it's not always the case that you, you have that long path and it's actually more common than ever these days. Well, yeah, so massively these days. I mean, I, I mean, I look at my parents, I mean, my, my, my dad has crossed over and, and he's now looking down on me, but, um, my parents were married and they, they just had their, my goodness, it would have been their 50 54th wedding anniversary it would have been my parents this summer this absolutely summer. i mean yes. like how absolutely. glorious and amazing is. is that however but what you've done with your book and what you've done with your life is to say you know what we're not working so how do we make this work for our daughter absolutely absolutely and i always say you know no one gets married to get divorced right it's not like that's a goal right no, no one also gets divorced for positive reasons, generally, you know, as a general rule. Um, but the children that, you know, are in the midst of this divorce, they didn't get to make the decision that their no. parents were going to get divorced, but their lives are the most significantly impacted by that decision. No, they, they massively are. And I actually want to start with good divorce. This is what I have written in my notes. Good divorce question mark. <laughs> yes. so I, I really want, I mean, I, the, the stage is yours because I want you to just educate for the, that listener that perhaps is going through that time right now and they're not quite sure how to have, let's just simply start first with a yes. good divorce. Okay, great. Well, let's start there. So first, there's actually not enough conversation about the topic about how to have a good divorce, which is why I wrote this book. And I really wanted to help shift societal perception that this is an attainable outcome. So let's talk about it. You know, interesting enough, the concept of a good divorce, the term came from my daughter. And a year after we, she, we got, my daughter's name is Grace. We got divorced when she was seven. And at age eight, we were staying in a CVS line in Atlanta. 
and there's a, a People magazine cover on the newsstand there. And there's a celebrity couple getting a divorce. And she looks at me and she goes, Mommy, is that a good divorce or a bad divorce? And I, I said, Grace, I don't know. What's the difference between a good divorce and a bad divorce? She goes, well, a good divorce is when the mommy and daddy are nice to each other like you and daddy. And a bad divorce is when they scream and yell at each other. Oh, seven-year-old. A seven-year-old. Yeah. yeah. And so I walked out, Ashley, and said, you know, whatever my ex-husband and I were doing, and there were some conscious decisions we had made going into our divorce. I said, whatever we're doing, the fact that our daughter, a year into our divorce, could call it a good divorce. We were doing something, and I hate to say something right, but something on the right path, right? We were... We're heading down the right path. And so it was really her coining of that phrase that stuck with me. And so, you know, at the end of the day, if you were to say, how do you define a good divorce? It's when the, the parents that are going through a divorce set aside their emotions for each other, you know, fundamentally set those aside and say, what is best for our children throughout this? By the way, it's not just throughout the divorce process. It's throughout their lives. Because once you're divorced, you're divorced, right? And your children are have parents that are no longer living in the same house, but how do you approach the day-to-day -day, um, so that they don't feel like their worlds have been completely blown up by the decision you two made to no longer live in the same household? And so I had read that you didn't go to therapy for the two of you. You went to therapy for your child. Yes. I think that's brilliant. Like yes. I, I've never read anything else like that before. So that just instantly was like, wow, how on earth, again, this might be from working at Google and the magical <laughs> you know, unicorn that is Google and the confetti and all of the things. But did you guys just like high five powwow, let's go to therapy for <laughs> No, actually, it's interesting. It's a great question. No, we actually went through a, a specific type of uh, an approach to divorce called the collaborative process. Okay. okay. And so what the collaborative process does is it gives each of you uh, basically a divorce coach. So someone that walks you through what the steps are going to be required to get a divorce. And then you each have your lawyers, but you bring your lawyers in at the very end to just basically do the legal document. Your divorce coaches have actually walked you through all the decisions you need to make. And then there's a, actually a child specialist, a therapist for the child that is all about what's best for the child. And then in fairness, there's a financial neutral person in this team. It's a basically a team-based approach. And I have to tell you, and it sounds, people say, oh, that sounds expensive and timely. It's incredibly efficient. And it's actually generally more cost-effective than the litigating aspect of what, you know, the typical divorce that people think about. So that child specialist, I, he was the most amazing influence on us, I have to say because we met with him before we even told Grace that we were getting a divorce to talk to him about how we would do that. And then she met with him the Monday, we told her on a Friday, she met with him the Monday after we told her and then for six months after, and then we, we, she was in, good, you know, in a good place. And then years later, she had a moment where she was reflecting on things. She goes, can I go see Mr. David? I said, absolutely, he's there for you. So, I mean, yeah. she, okay, Grace, firstly, is an old soul. At yeah. seven years old, she's already compartmentalizing what's going on. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, she is. And what's interesting, though, is Mr. David and, and, the, and the approach that he took, it was a very frank approach, by the way. It was a little, it, he was also kind of giving us our own reality checks. So, as much as she was an old soul and could handle all that we were doing to her life, um, I'll never forget, Ashley, probably one of the, probably hardest moments of that phase for me is when he looked at us at that first meeting and he looked at me and said, so Sarah, do you travel? 
And I said, actually, I do. I travel internationally for my job. And he looked at my ex-husband, or husband at the time, but soon to be ex-husband. He says, do you travel? And he says, yeah, I travel domestically. And he said, well, Grace is about to become a professional traveler. She's going to travel every week for the next 11 years until she heads off to college. And I, and he goes, she's going to pack a bag. And I burst into tears, absolutely burst into tears. And I thought, that's not what I want for our daughter. Like that is not the life I envisioned her being a professional traveler back and forth. So we left that session, Ashley. And I said to my soon to be ex-husband, I said, look, we've got to do everything we can to minimize the dynamic she will feel of being a professional traveler. Right. Because like put, put your ego aside, put your now ex-husband's ego aside. This is a child that's not even like, we're talking seven years old and it hasn't even even a a driver's permit yet. Like doesn't even know. Like first grade. What what the world is. Yeah. First grade. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to like my popple backpack and Yeah, and the things, the special things we wanted, right? The special things that were there. So what we tried to do, and again, this comes down to a lot of logistics of life and fairness. And also there is a socioeconomic consideration of what I'll share. But what we tried to do is put all the basics at both homes so that Grace didn't have to pack that bag. And the only thing, to your point about your backpack, the one thing she'd take back and forth between her dad's house and my house was her backpack with her school items and things. But, you know, we tried to, you know, try to keep as many things at both homes. So she wasn't packing that bag twice a week, basically back and forth between between homes. And, you know, there would be days you'll laugh where there are too many socks at one house or, you know, too, you know, too many. Exactly. And so, you know, I call it the rebalancing. I go, we need to now it wasn't for Grace to rebalance. She was seven, eight, nine. You know, so I'd say to my husband, it's a rebalancing day on a Sunday with whoever was bringing Grace to the other one's home. And so we would literally go in and look at her drawers and say, oh, yeah, I do have too many socks, too many underwear. And we would, and by the way, we would carry it into the house again, not for her, not for her to handle. She shouldn't have to move her items back and forth. So those were just some, again, they're small things, but they're really important for these children that are going through this massive shift, you know, like an earthquake has hit their life. And it's like, how do you allow the pieces to feel somewhat stable as they feel like their life's being pulled apart? Yeah, but you've just, I mean, I, my brain just immediately switched on and and this for the listener, just the fact that you guys would not allow her to move it, that you mm-hmm. took the care to move her things. Because at the end of the day, this was your decision and now your ex's decision. This yeah. wasn't hers. Right. This isn't like I'm off to Disneyland every day. This Absolutely. is, a, this is a, you know, you made it as pretty and Disney-esque as possible for her, it sounds like. What what else, I mean, just that simple thing of, of yeah. moving, what, what else, were, were there a couple other things that perhaps yeah. really benefit from hearing? Yeah, one of the other reflections I had during this whole phase of, of us shifting lives is um, we, we, Grace and I were gonna stay in the home that we had been living in with my husband. And so, he was moving out. And so I realized that we were going to obviously divvy up our, our items, right? Our, our furniture and our artwork and things. So I made a goal that if a piece of art came off the wall, it might not be replaced by a piece of art. In fairness, a mirror might go up. But what I tried to do is make, if a chair left, something else went its place. So that Grace didn't, in the house she was living in, look and see all these holes. And the most poignant moment for me is there was, we had a long haul hallway of black and white family photos that was a combination of my ex-husband and my family and all interspersed 
And I took the time to uh, have other photos made of Grace and myself and, and get frames. And so one day she went down to a play date, as you do at age seven, down the street. And I took the photos of my ex-husband's family and him off the wall, and I put these other photos up. And I put it all together. And she came home about an hour later, and I'm in the kitchen. And I hear this little voice from the hallway say, hey, mommy. And I go, what's that, Grace? She said, the wall has changed. And I stopped in my tracks. And I said, well, what's changed, Grace? She goes, you know what? There's more pictures of me up there. It looks great. And she ran up the stairs. I love her. <laughs> but but I, actually, I stopped in my tracks. I thought, oh, my God, what's she going to say? And because the other thing is, think about if I hadn't taken the time, in fairness, to have reframed photos and put photos up and just taken the photos down of my ex-husband's family and his, and his photos and put them in a box and given to him and left those little hangers, you know, interspersed throughout that hallway. What Grace would be telling a therapist 10, 20 years from now is that my parents got divorced and my mommy took all of the photos of my dad off the wall and she left those little hangers. I, I, I then eventually, or not, not eventually, but right now in my head, I'm, yeah. I'm going, did she see you cry? Great question. She did not. She did I, not. I have I, I've had the, the the privilege and pleasure of of chatting with other busy mumsies that dealt with grief and you know very big traumatic moments in their lives and this is very traumatic yes. and at that moment in your life this is this is trauma this is something that has gone completely how you did not want it to go Absolutely. and literally the the same thing with losing a husband um, whether it be through death or through the death of a divorce, mm -hmm. they never saw crying. Yeah. And I, I think that that really says something about how you can project forward in such a positive way for the child's well-being. It, it's absolutely that. And it takes a lot, by the way. That, I mean, what I talk about in my book is the concept of a compartmentalization muscle. Okay, and okay. I, know you're, I know you're in the fitness business, and I do Pilates, by the way. I'm a big Pilates addict. And we talk about having a strong core, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. All about James Fonda leg lift. Give it to yeah. me. <laughs> exactly. But what we, what we don't talk enough about is the muscle in our brain that is the ability to compartmentalize things so that, by the way, you absolutely need to allow those emotions to come out. I'm not saying to, put them, to bury them because that's not healthy either. That causes other health issues. But in the moment, in these moments when you are faced with your child being there and there's something that may be a trigger for your emotions, you have to use that compartmentalization muscle to say, this isn't the time to show those emotions. That's not healthy for them, right? And, you know, just do all you can. You can go on a walk and cry your eyes out. You can go up in your room and cry your eyes out. You, there's lots of places to cry. It is not when you have these young children that are just looking at every signal of how you're doing and wanting to know that you're okay, and maybe you aren't okay, but they need to know that you're you're okay for them. And, they, and you know, so it's just such a hard thing. And I, by the way, what I'm saying, I realize it's really hard to do. No, and it is. I mean, I, you know, I I love my husband to bits. Like I I love him to pieces. But let me tell you, we can have some real shit days. <laughs> and you know, Adia has seen me cry. She has. I, I'm, I am emotional to my yes. core. Yes. It, it's just, it is how I am made. I, mm -hmm. I, I mean, 
I went to therapy as a seven-year-old, but because of my emotions and temper and like all of these other things. So I instantly think about that. And I, then I instantly think about, well, Ricky and I have fought, not, not in this, like in the sense of we disagree on something, but I will take it so personal. I'm as if like you have cut my arm off and I will cry. And I, and, and, even and I'm not leaving him and he's not leaving me because no. I, I will find him first. Yeah. Ricky, I know you're listening and I will find you. But secondly, I, I I don't want her to see that we do fight and I that we do have an argument and that but we do make up and she sees us hug and like right. be very lovey dovey. She sees ninety nine point nine percent of that and yeah. then you know that little one percent happens yeah. now and then and yeah. just, but it's so true. Because it it just gets instilled. They're sponges, right? They're, They're sponges. They're so sponges. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when when a couple goes through a divorce, Ashley, you know, and children are involved specifically, you know, the stakes are high. The stakes are yeah. really high, you know, and so we owe it to our children that they're not collateral damage due to the divorce. And, you know, I always say, even though a couple's decided to no longer be married and um, they made a commitment to their children when they brought them into this world to bring them up in the healthiest environment possible. You know, and I, I joke that we cover the plugs, we make sure they wear bike helmets, we feed them organic milk, we do all these things to make sure they're safe and happy and healthy. But I then, can't even get Adia to drink the milk. <laughs> she's an age where she's like, not so much. No, <laughs> no, no. Favorite no. word. Exactly, no. But you know, the toxicity that can come with the divorce can have long-term impact on children's approach to relationships, you know, their view on marriage, their overall kind of happiness in life. And so it is up to the parents that are going through this process to take on the responsibility of co-parenting with the intent of going back to the term of having a good divorce of creating the healthiest environment possible for your children, because that's what they deserve. They, again, they did not choose this path that you've decided to put your, your life on. They're along for the ride. And so it's a matter of how smooth can you make that ride? And not to your point in a Disneyland Pollyanna way, because, you know, life has its bumps. Those roads have their bumps. Right. But not, it shouldn't be more than the average seven-year-old or eight-year-old or 10-year-old should have to experience. Well, then, so then tell me this. So this happens at seven and you guys part. Mm-hmm. And a big part of a child's life is puberty. Mm-hmm. So from seven, then we let's talk that preteen, that that twelve mm-hmm. into thirteen. Did yeah. you notice anything with Grace, or was she reflecting back and was able to talk to both of you? Did yeah. did your dialogue remain strong amongst with Grace, but then also yeah. with your ex? Yes, you know, I, I feel very fortunate. Grace is a very communicative. <laughs> she has a very communicative young little one, and that continued through even the. the and the, the teen years. So we always had a very open dialogue. And what was interesting, she's very close to her dad and she's very close to me. And, and I think that that's because in, in fairness, we really invested in that time with her to have that time to, to have those talks. But, you know, um, in middle school, she had started having, because we were really the first of her, her friend group to, to have a divorce, right? She was kind of the first kid that had the situation. Um, but in middle school, she had a couple of other friends that went through divorces or families went through divorces. And she would she would say to me at dinner, Mom, it doesn't have to be this ugly. It doesn't have to be this hard. Like she was she was trying to help her friends through, you know, their own journey. But seeing how those parents maybe weren't interacting the way she saw my ex-husband and I handling. And I said, Grace, not everyone has handled it the way your dad and I have. 
And so it's just, but that's why, and, and at that point, so I wrote the book and she was, so she was seven when I got divorced, but she was 12 when I wrote the book. So she actually, so she, the first she person that I've ever met that's had a good divorce. I, I, this needs to be made into a movie. Well, well, it's interesting, Ashley, you say that because when people say that to me, here's a fascinating thing. When people say that to me and say, I, you know, you're the first person or I know one other person that's had a good divorce. I think, wow, like I, great. I mean, great, but, but so sad for us that more people aren't able to set aside the things that quite honestly, I know, again, I said earlier, you don't get divorced for positive reasons, but these, these children are so impacted and actually interesting two things before I forget. One is Grace read the book, by the way, at age 12 and I gave it to her and I said, I need you to read this. I'm ask you, did she read the book or she, have input? She okay. read it because I wanted, because I'm sharing snippets of our life. And I said, Grace, I want you to read this and make sure that you know, you're comfortable with mom sharing this. Cause again, I mentioned earlier, I'm a very private person, ironically. And I said, I want to make sure you're comfortable with this. And so she read it and I, I let her, I left her and, and came back later. And she said, mom, this is really going to help, help families. She said, and so she was very supportive of me going ahead with the actual publishing process, but I wanted to make sure she read it. But the other interesting thing, going back to your comment about being the only one, um, we had a moment in sixth grade actually at her parent teacher conference. And in her school, um, ideally, both parents go to the conference and the child attends the conference with the teacher. So my ex-husband and Grace and I are there and we're sitting down. We talk for an hour. And at the end of the hour, the teacher looks at me or looks at all of us and says, wait a minute, are you two divorced? And oh, I said, oh, yeah, we got divorced five years ago in Grace's first grade. She said, she said I had no idea. And I looked at her and said, well, it didn't occur to, to us to tell you, <laughs> like walk in and say, Hey, we're going to have this parent teacher conference, but we're divorced, you know? And so, and she said to me, you would be so shocked at how few parents can come into this office for one hour and have a conversation about their children's education, which quite honestly should be one of the most important things you're talking about at that stage in life. She goes, so few people do it. And it makes me very sad. And I said to her again, by the way, Grace is hearing this whole conversation, actually. And I said to her, that makes me really sad because what's more important to parents than sitting down and hearing how their kids are doing in school? You know, that this is a full lesson on ego. It is. It is unbelievable that two adults that are going through the madness can't take the madness and park it for the sake of the child who needs to have learn and grow and be nurtured and loved. And, 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 you know, that that's the name of the game, right? It's like right. when you have a child or w when you're co-parenting or whatever, the, the name of the game is child. Yes. Not, nothing else. You, yeah, no, I agree. Cause I mean, there's a selfless act in becoming a parent, right? I mean, you, you, you've Absolutely. decided that you're going to invest in raising another human, <laughs> you know, in the best way possible. And so it just, it, so those moments, those moments throughout our divorce, both pre and post, and that was five years post-divorce, that, you know, I just had these moments of reflection of, you know, just what's happening in society. Like, and you said it earlier, you know, divorce does not need to be a scarlet letter. No, it you doesn't. Know, Absolutely not. You know, it's a process. You go through, it's an action, actually. You get divorced. Um, but when you think about the effort it takes to actually do it in maybe a different way, a more positive environment, a positive mindset, you know, that takes effort. It's not, and I, I will say it's not necessarily easy but it's so worth it when you look at the impact it's going to have in your children that you've brought into this world to have to live, you know, in a happy, 
happy and healthy environment. So that's the interesting thing is I think there's a societal perception of divorce, which is negative. And this, there's this like gray cloud that's going to follow you. I mean, I always joke when I go to the doctor's office and they ask for your status and they ask if I'm divorced. I'm like, why does it matter? You need to know I'm divorced. <laughs> like, okay. But you know, it's, it's this, you know, again, this marker. And I would love for society to believe that if 50% of marriages, at least in the U S are going to end in divorce, that that 50% of the population still has the ability to believe that they can lead a happy life post that action. Well, yeah, absolutely. But it also just makes me think about how your daughter really, really was the driver for the two of you to really just coexist for her in the most right, positive way that, so you, you, you're now 13 years divorced. Am yes. I right? So, yeah, 13 yes, years. Yeah, 13 years in December. Like, yeah. like yeah. who are you now that, because I, I ask that because yeah. what you did 13 years ago is unheard of that I'm actually still saying you're the first person I know. It's yeah. 2022. We yeah. clearly haven't gone, well, we all know that we haven't gone far in a lot of things on a lot of political, uh, you know, conversation but in yeah. this even still I, I i started the conversation about the the, the scarlet letter and the letter yeah. d now and like yeah. that's bananas and here it we is. are so 13 years like yeah. who where yeah where are we and so it's interesting so um a couple things couple reflections you know grace headed off to college last fall and my ex-husband and i both actually took her to college together like got her into her dorm room. And, and that night we actually went to dinner, the two of us, cause she was off meeting her new friends. And we kind of toasted that we'd gotten her to that point, you know, that we, we made it through those at that point, 12 years. And it was a moment of reflection for both of us. Again, it, it, um, it was, it was, a, it was a special moment, quite honestly, for us to be able to be at that point and see her off <clears throat> into her kind of next stage of life. So that was a moment. Um, the other thing I'd say in terms of life is there is a whole life post-divorce where you can be happy, your ex-spouse can be happy, your children can be happy. I have a really interesting um, story of when I, what triggered me writing this book. I was, um, so five years post-divorce and I was in Mexico City at a, um, a dinner with a, a group of Latin America colleagues, mostly men ironically, but one of them turned to me and he said to me, Sarah, you're so happy. And I looked at him, I said, yeah, Salman, I'm really happy. And he goes, but you're divorced. And I said, Salman, getting divorced is not a death sentence. My ex-husband and I decided to no longer be married to each other. Yes, I'm happy. My ex-husband's happy. Grace is happy. I go, we're all happy. And I mentioned to him that a lot, I had had a number of friends post my divorce that had asked me to help them think through their divorces. And as I said, I'm not an advocate, but I, I am a proponent for if you're going to do it, there's a way to do it. And um, so I mentioned to him that I had friends that were encouraging me to write a book because of all the guidance I provided them. And he said, you really should. And I go, well, I don't consider him suffering. Right? He goes, you really should write. He's like, you should write it. You should do that. So the next morning I left Mexico City. I got on a plane and I opened my laptop. And the first line I wrote was, this book's written by a girl who never ever thought she would get a divorce, who got a divorce and what she learned along the way. 
And then I actually, I mean, I wrote about 80 to 90% of my book on Delta, honestly, because I traveled the world for, for my job. And so when I was done with my work on my flights, instead of, you know, watching a movie or opening up a book, I'd open up my personal laptop and, you know, kind of right away. So I did that for about- Sponsored by Delta. <laughs> exactly. And in fairness, this was during my years uh, at the Coca-Cola company. In fairness, was when I when was when I wrote it. And um, it's- it's a, one of those things that I look back and I actually, I don't consider myself a writer. I never had a goal of writing a book. You know, this was not in you know, my bucket list of things to do in life, but I did feel compelled after the experience we had into your point of it being such a rare experience to say, gosh, I hope we can share that there's a different way to do this. There really is a different way to do this. And so my journey now, so, you know, 13 yeah, years later. I wanted to ask, like, where, where are you now, 13 years? Yes. Later. Yeah, so 13 years later, I'm super happy. I, I um, You mentioned me um, living in San Francisco. When Grace was seven and I got divorced, I said to her, Grace, when we, you graduate from high school, mom's going to move to San Francisco, and I'm going to get a two-bedroom flat with a view of the water. And so I am looking right now during this podcast set in my two-bedroom flat with a view of the water. And I'm just clapping. <laughs> I mean, I, I love that. I love, I, I can't like hit the love button enough. <laughs> yeah. And so that was, that was a moment for me. You know, did, to, I, I, I do have to ask, did yeah, anyone yeah. say to you, well, this is a bit selfish. Hmm. You, it's interesting. It's interesting. So I have amazing group. I have a family of friends in Atlanta where I moved from and they, and they would always be like, but why, why, like, why do you need? And I said, you know, I just, I, in fairness, my parents moved to California 30 years ago. So my parents and my brothers are all out here. So part of it was bringing me to the West coast. I've never lived here. I'm from Michigan originally, but um, so it was kind of getting closer to family. I love this city. It's a stunningly beautiful city. And it was just a place I kind of, I feel very at, at peace here. And so, but I had people like, wait, so you're going to uproot graces, you know, home in Atlanta and she's not going to have that. And I said, yeah, but it's, it's okay. She's going off into her life and it's, it's my time now to move because my ex-husband and I decided to stay in Atlanta close to each other for grace. Okay. So we both stayed in Atlanta probably longer than we would have in, you know, natural, you know, course of life um, because we wanted to keep her close to each other and so that we could both raise her. So that was a very conscious decision. So to your point about being selfish, there is probably a, a small bit of the, the, uh, being focused on what's right for mom now <laughs> um, in this stage. And I, I'm okay with that. And Grace is okay with that. I mean, she, she came and she saw my new place uh, this year as I moved in and she looked at me, she goes, mom, I get it. She's like, yeah, this is where you're supposed to be. So oh, I, I mean, I, I, again, hit the like button, applaud <laughs> it. I, I'm all for it. You, you have navigated something that has such a stigma around it and you mm -hmm. did it with so much grace and beauty. Your ex did as well. Yeah, I, he did you know, it, it was a 50-50 there. Yes, it was and, absolutely 50-50. And either one of you could have really made a U-turn and you both didn't and you did yeah. it for Grace. And yeah. my gosh, and she's such an old soul to have gone through something that is so publicized in tabloids and media and yes. the movies. Yeah. I mean, that's why you instantly think of the movies and, you know, yeah. Brad Pitt and he gets this and that all, all of the dramatization yeah. of it all. And, and here you guys are, and here you are and the dust has settled and you are smiling and looking yeah. at the water yeah. in, in exactly where you want it to be with, yeah. with the support of, of everyone. 
Yes, no, and I've had such amazing support. I've amazing support with my family, from my friends. I mean, Grace and I are so close. Like I, I could not be more fortunate of where I am. You know, almost 13 years to your point post-divorce, um, and you know, I've I've had a long-term relationship for a, the last 11 of those 13 years, who's a very special person. So I I feel incredibly fortunate to be yeah. where I am, and that's part of the, that's part of what I want women, quite honestly, moms to know that when you go through this, there is a life after divorce that you can build. That's, you know, the best it's going to be, you know, the best it will be, you know? And so um, I just have that strong belief and I want women specifically to know that they can do that and have that belief that that's an attainable outcome. Um, But it does take, it it takes some very conscious thought and very conscious actions over the course of time. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say that um, for the listener, you can always go to the show notes. Sarah Armstrong's information will be there. You can click on it. You can DM her. Um, you can you know, find her on socials and everything and all the information will be there. But to, to end this busy mumsy chat, Sarah, mm-hmm. I, I literally chat with you for a lot longer. But uh, <laughs> we know how long the listeners have. <laughs> but that, um, for, for that for that person that's going through it right now, like top mm-hmm. three things off the top of your head that you can just give them so that they can come back, press play, listen to it again of like top three things that they could just use tools to yeah. start to go forward positively with yes. a good divorce. Yeah. Okay. So what I would say for those that are in the kind of during like pre-divorce, but I'm going to give kind of two groups, the pre-divorce, like getting ready and then the post-divorce, the pre-divorce part is to, to really establish the mindset. Your mindset is so essential and as much of a positive mindset, again, regardless of why these things happened, positive mindset, please start with that and then good things will come from that. I absolutely tell you, good things will come. The second is focusing on your co-parenting and having a co-parenting plan that's written down that you actually agree to with your ex-spouse. That's literally, it's quite honestly, it's all the decisions you're gonna make about your children from whatever age they are until they're off to college and so having, plan. it is it is it in you know it and it's fundamental it's because you yeah. go back to it even in a good divorce you go back to say oh well this is what we agreed to and, and it keeps you on a on a path so i think that's the other thing and then i think the third thing is recognizing that your children are watching you at all times and so that compartmentalization also that i talked about like trying to strengthen that as quickly as possible and by the way you keep that through life you need it pre during post you need it in life in general so building that. And then the final two thoughts I would say is as you go into the post-divorce phase is always take the high road. There will be moments when you could say something or you could do something that would prove a point. It's not worth it. It's just, it it might make you feel good for a second. It's not good for the long-term of your children. So just take that high road. And the final thought is to embrace the new normal. Like this is your life has just been turned upside down and it's not going to be the same that it was but you can create a new normal that's equally beautiful, equally amazing in this post-divorce phase. You just have to give yourself some, some time to get there. It won't be that first year is not going to be, you know, all that you're hoping it will be. But every year you will put in place what is your new normal. And hopefully you can look back and say, you know what? I did it the best I could. That's all I wanted to be able to say to Grace is we did the best we could, Grace. Always and, best. Right? Always at our best. And like, we did the best we could. And through that, we now can have her reflect back again 13 years later and even a year into it saying, you know what, mom and dad, they had a good divorce. And so that's, 
you know, to say you're proud of something. I mean, again, going back to the stigma of divorce, I am proud that we had a good divorce. I'm proud of how we approached it collectively. And to your point, Max has it myself and Grace. I mean, she was in it with us. You know, she, she had to appreciate what we were trying to do. And she also was amazing throughout the whole process. So. Wow. Well, I, I, a few things for me, a, I, I'm so happy that we met and I'm now proud to call you a friend. Oh, me too. Not only are you a magical unicorn from Google, but you are just a magical human, period. Thank you. And I cannot thank you so much for coming on to the Busy Mumsy podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me, Ashley. Truly appreciate it. And just really admire all that you're doing to, to share various topics in fairness with the, the busy moms out there. So thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Busy Mumsy podcast. If you have enjoyed this week's show, then please, please give it some extra love wherever you download your podcast and give it a five-star rating, a high five, a kickball change, a yes, yes, go Busy Mumsies. And don't forget, you can find out more information about this week's guest, what we discussed, and everything else related to the world of Busy Mumsy by clicking the link in the show notes down below. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.